Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Interlude Podcast. You are listening to episode 75, A Conversation with Anne Keen. At the age of 36, Anne was a young mom when she was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. She has been on treatment and living with metastatic breast cancer for over five years and recently accomplished a milestone that she didn't think she would make it to, and that was seeing her daughter start kindergarten. We talk about what her diagnosis was like, how she got through those really dark days in the beginning, and how she moved forward to start treatment, and what the last five years have been like. Anne recently ran the Boston Marathon for the Dana-Farber team, and we talk about what that experience was like both before and during race day, and shares the emotions, the experiences through the race, as well as what got her through those really, really tough miles at the end. I am so grateful to Anne for taking the time to not only speak with me, but to be so open and vulnerable and raw in this conversation. And with that, it is my honor to welcome Anne Keen to the Interlude podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Eleanor Toplinski, and I am a board-certified medical oncologist specializing in the treatment of breast and gynecologic cancers. I started the Interlude podcast as a way to share the journeys and experiences of women who are going through cancer. On this podcast, we talk about anything and everything related to the cancer journey, the treatment, and life after cancer. As a reminder, the information discussed on this podcast is not meant to serve as medical advice. Any specific medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. Hi, Anne. Welcome, and thanks for joining me today. Hi. Thank you. Can you start by telling the listeners a little bit about who you are and your story? Sure. So my name is Anne Keen. I am a 41-year-old mom who works full-time. I am an active uh, person doing Peloton rides. I just uh, finished doing my very first marathon, uh, Boston Marathon, on behalf of the Dana-Farber. And I also am a jewelry designer and own my own um, small business. Um, you also asked the question about, uh, my story. So in 2016, uh, my daughter uh, Ruby was, uh, one years old and I was looking to get pregnant with a second child and had started to, um, get back into fitness because as you know, many new moms know getting into exercise is definitely challenging when you're trying to juggle work and, um, you know, a baby. And so had kind of really committed to exercising to get back into like baby growing shape. And so around May, so my daughter was about a year and a half. I started swimming, was a swimmer in college, played water polo in college. So swimming was really a natural go-to for me to get back in shape. And about a week in, uh, I started to notice some pain along my sternum or my chest. And it, you know, being a, a former, you know, college athlete, I, I knew what, you know, pain would be associated with just getting back into shape. And this was not it. And I felt something wasn't right, but I just thought, oh, maybe it's my lungs are, you know, just <laughs> trying to get back into shape because the, the placement of where that pain was really, it, you know, just unique. 
And over the course of the week, you know, it, it intensified a bit. And then one morning I got out of the shower and noticed some dimpling in my left breast. And, and upon seeing that in the mirror, I just had this feeling in my gut that I knew it was breast cancer. I, I just knew it. And I, I don't know why, but it just felt, felt it in my gut. Went right to the doctors. Um, immediately the assumption was around because of the pain in my sternum, the thinking was that this was maybe heart related or uh, you know some, some other health issue. So they, I went through a gamut of just standard tests um, and then had a mammogram. So at the age of 36, um, I was, you know, having a mammogram and just this all felt very awkward because I felt like I'm too young to have this. And, you know, a lot of the doctors and nurses along the journey early on were also skeptical. Oh, this is going to be nothing. You know, this is just a standard procedure uh, we have to do. And lo and behold, you know, that it was discovered that, uh, you know, I had uh, breast cancer. And at this point, it was diagnosed as stage three. And when I went and met with the oncologist at the time, the oncologist had said things to me like, um, you know, your, your course of treatment is going to be about a year and a half long, after which you'd be able to try and get pregnant. You're going to go through radiology. You're going you know, to have radiation. You're going to have uh, potential mastectomy. You know, all these kinds of things, but we need to do additional tests and we want to do a scan to make sure that it hasn't gone anywhere. And she said things like, you know, if I'm a betting person, um, this is, it's just stage three and you'll be one and done and you'll be, it'll be over. Um, and, uh, following those tests, that wasn't true. It was metastatic. And so it was in my liver, in my bones. Um, and so that, you know, as you know, metastatic means that it's, it's um, stage four, which is, has a, a not so great prognosis. Most people live two to three years with that diagnosis. And uh, so that was really the, the start of my journey. What was it like, you know, getting that call or being in the office and finding out the results of that scan as a young mom, right? Wanting to have more children. I mean, I can't even fathom what, what's going through your mind at that point. I mean, it was debilitating. Um, it's, it's hard to put into words what it means to, you know, take such a, a hard left turn uh, on what, you know, I, I thought I would be doing. I had just, you know, gotten to a good place in my career. I had been promoted, um, you know, was eager to, you know, dive into, you know, greater challenges at work, um, eager to, you know, have another baby and all of those things stopped. And, you know, I know that every doctor says, don't Google it. We all Google it. Of course. Uh, and so, you know, reading the prognosis, um, it, it's not good. And I, you know, I, I, I still struggle with those talking about it because it was so traumatic, um, you know, crying and, and, you know, just not knowing what, what my next few months or, or even if it would be even years would look like. Thank you for sharing that. I am sure it brings back a very, very hard time. How did you, move forward, you know, or how do you pull yourself out of that darkness in the moment and say, okay, well, I, you know, I have to do something now. 
Yeah. Uh, early on, I met another uh, woman who has and still has metastatic breast cancer. Um, she, like I, was a young mom. She happened to live in the next town over. Was We were the same age and everything. Uh, she happened to be a year out from it, meaning that from her initial diagnosis. So she was like a year ahead of me. And I met her, you know, in a Panera and we talked for about three hours and I'm just like crying over Panera bread. <laughs> um, and she said one thing that really stuck, which was it's going to be okay. And hearing that from somebody who had lived a year, who, um, you know, was an active person who, you know, still was out running and, you know, still out being a mom was really something that felt like I, I can do it. And I, I tell people that those first few months, it felt like I had a, a fog around me. Like I couldn't, I couldn't see, I couldn't, not, not literally, I couldn't see, but I just felt like each moment was hard. Each day was hard. It just, you know, it was just nonstop. And then after a bit, it became easier just with time. And, um, you know, I have, I have, I'm lucky to have great support family and friends that all were, were checking up on me, but I think the connection with somebody else that really understood what I was going through really helped a lot. Um, and, you know, made me think like, I I can do this. Um, I can, I can, you know, make it to the next hour, to the next week, whatever, whatever it might be. And I think that's really important, right? Because everyone tells you, okay, it's going to be okay. But unless you connect with someone that's done it and who really understands, and it speaks to the power, I think, of community and social media in a good way, because sometimes we talk so much about all the negatives of being online, but right. the ability, you know, for young women, you know, years ago, there was no way to find someone else going through what you were going through. So true. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, connecting with these people, um, uh, you know, sometimes they, they might not be the right match. If you were to meet them, you know, or uh, they happen to live down the street for you, you might not connect with them as like a person, but because you have this unique bond, um, it, it just, it's, it's like nothing else when you, when you find somebody that, that has that. What did the treatment that you started, what was that treatment like? So I started out, um, on Taxol, Herceptin and Pertuzumab and over time, um, it became harder and harder. So originally it was very emotional in that, in the sense of like going into the appointment and, and having, uh, you know, I had, I, I have a port in my chest. So having the port installed was emotional because it's like, this is a thing walking into the Dana Farber for the first time, not knowing where to go, you know, meeting these doctors for the first time. It's just, everything felt so big and so daunting and so emotional. Uh, and the, the treatment, um, you know, at over time is really wearing on your body. And so, you know, I had a lot of digestive issues. I was taking at, at some point, you know, 12 pills a day to try and combat all of the digestive issues that I was having. Uh, as a side effect, uh, I began to get neuropathy really bad in my, in my hands and, and, you know, that radiated up to my elbows. And I just had this mentality that, uh, 
be, because my oncologist has said, you're going to be on this treatment for uh, as long as your body can handle it or until, you know, the, the, the cancer has adjusted and we need to make, you know, pick a different plan or a different treatment uh, route. And so I had this like mentality because I was an athlete, you know, like, I'm just going to do this. I don't care like how bad it hurts. I don't care what my, you know, what the side effects are. I'm just going to do it. And after a certain point, I was asking them about some of these side effects, like the neuropathy, and they didn't realize how bad it was. And they said to me, you know, you can't keep doing this because there could be a clinical trial that has that as a side effect mm -hmm. later on, but you've now done damage and you can't go on that. And I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that that yeah. was, you know, that you, you shouldn't do that. Um, because the list of side effects are like so long. They're like, well, what's, what are you feeling? And I'm like, all, all the things, I don't know. Like you, you, you know, you can't yeah. get just the sheet. Anyways, I will say, you know, going back to my original story, I want to, I want to say one thing when I was diagnosed and that, that oncologist had said that to me, um, I, I knew that wasn't the right oncologist for me. And I, I've luckily been, uh, found the right team at the Dana Farber where I'm, I'm being treated now. And so they're looking out for me and asking me all the good questions about all the things like not tied to yeah. you know, the, the treatment, you know, like, how are you doing? How are you sleeping? You know, are you eating all of those kinds of, what are you eating? Like all of those things, um, you know, I feel like really well cared for. At, that's, place that's such an important point. You know, it is okay. I tell people all the time, you have to find a team and it's not just the doctor, right? It's the yeah. team that you are comfortable with that, and it's a good relationship, right? Because, and it's, and it's okay if it's not a fit, your first person, the first oncologist that you meet, it may not be the right fit, right? Think about how we do everything else in life. That first person you meet for something may not be the right person. Right. Um, and it's absolutely okay for people listening. It's absolutely okay to seek that second opinion or that third opinion until you, until you get comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So now you're not on, what are you on right now? Just receptin and Progetta? Yes. Okay. Yes. So after that initial, you know, the, the challenges around um, the neuropathy, that's when they said, okay, we're just going to drop the taps off. Mm -hmm. And so I have been on that for four plus years, which is just Amazing. That, like, Amazing. I feel like a magical unicorn that this has been this long that I've been on this uh, and it's, and it's worked uh, really. It's that's, I feel like it's luck. You know, a lot of people say, oh, it's, you know, diet or exercise. And I look at the, you know, that the, the, the person that um, I had met early on, she is now on her, her 12th line of treatment and her cancer has changed. And while we originally started out with the same, you know, ER positive, the, the triple positive, but mm -hmm. hers, hers has changed. And that's why I say, like, I reference like being a unicorn, this is luck, you know, yeah. that, that mm -hmm. this worked for me, you know, it's, it's not always the same for everyone else. So exactly right. Some people respond to the treatment for a long time, which is amazing that you have. And I hope that you continue to respond for a very, very long time. What is it like though, now having been on this treatment for four years, right? I'm sure that different emotions kind of emerge. Like, yeah. do you ever feel worried about like the next scan and, you of know, course. things like that? 
Of course. I mean, you know, I, I'm now part of a really great group online where I talk with, uh, you know, either through virtual or um, just through Facebook message, uh, messenger, um, you know, a different, different people that, you know, when you get close to them, you, it, those emotions, those feelings start to surface again. You know, I, I connect with people on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, and, and people die from this disease. And each time, you know, you go through and hear of somebody in the hospital or somebody passes or whatever it might be, all of those emotions come back because it's not a guarantee because it's not the treatment that I'm on. I, again, I, I'm lucky that this is happening. I see things shift so quickly for so many people that one minute they're doing one thing and they're out and they're, you know, you see the family photos and they look great. And then the next minute they're in the hospital. And so I just know that my luck could certainly change at any, at any point that this is not guaranteed. And so, you know, my, um, you know, desire to really focus on fitness and, and exercise and, and uh, eating right and all these kinds of things can only help my situation. It doesn't mean that it's, it's guaranteed, but it can't hurt for sure. And, and I, you feel better doing it, right? So then I think yeah. that also helps with quality of life. And you just ran a marathon. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, so let's talk about the marathon. How was it? Was it what you oh. expected? Was it more or less? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. So I had, I'll start about why, like, why did I even do this in the first place? So I had, you know, in dropping Taxol, I, a lot of those um, digestive uh, side effects have kind of gone away. I don't have the joint pain like I did before, you know, when it, when it would get colder out. Um, and so I thought, you know, I, I probably could, you know, dial up the exercise. So we, you know, we got a Peloton and I'm obsessed with it. And one of my um, good friends, had also, she and I had started running during the pandemic and we would run, you know, masks on six feet apart and all this. And she's, she's run a few marathons and kind of put the bug in my ear. And I said, well, I should even talk to my oncologist and see if it's okay. I was concerned with, with it in my bones and with it, you know, yeah. in my liver, you know, is this something that I should be taking on? Because I, I worry about the damage that it would do to my body. And she gave the all clear. She said, yeah, go for it. And so um, I signed up to go run on behalf of the Dana-Farber and, and found out that I was accepted. And it was just an amazing experience. Um, you know, start to finish the Dana-Farber team that, that I ran with, uh, or at least, you know, connected with online, were really um, fantastic in, in being good cheerleaders and helping me along the way as far as, you know, augmenting my training and and giving good tips and advice and, and leading up to it, you know, I had series of posts that were designed to help, um, you know, basically as part of, as part of writing for the Dana Farber, you have to raise some money. So, um, you know, a lot of times knowing that, uh, the more emotional pieces often compel people to donate. Um, you know, I, I put a lot of myself out there, uh, you know, pretty vulnerable posts, in my opinion, um, sharing what it's like and sharing, you know, what, what it means. And so, um, over time, you know, getting prepared for it, a lot of people connected with me and it was just really a fantastic, warm team, like feeling that, uh, I was headed into it. The morning of the race, uh, you know, on my Jersey or my singlet, it said, uh, on the back, uh, I'm running, uh, with, 
stage four breast cancer, what's your superpower? And so wearing that singlet is, you know, a clear indication <laughs> to people. And so I had a lot of people coming up to me and, and sharing their emotional stories. Like I'm literally crying, like walking to the start line, you know, which is I'm not something start that crying right now. <laughs> this is giving me chills. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, people along the sides, I'm mean, 26 miles of people where you have Dana Farber across your chest. They're looking and pointing right at you saying, go and go do it for Dana Farber. I mean, it's hard. It's even emotional just talking about it because the, the duration of the race is so long. And when you have people cheering that entire time, the emotional weight or, um, you know, I will say exhaustion. That sounds like it's a bad word, but the emotional aspect of the race was so much. And I just had no idea that that would be a factor um, at, at all. I thought I'd be, I'll, you know, I'm going to cry at the finish line. That's what I thought was going to happen. And that was not the case. I was crying at the start throughout and then definitely at the finish line. That's hard, right? Because you're so I mean, marathon running is so challenging. And now you have all these external, like, did you feel the pressure to connect with those people as they were cheering with you or to give them all a, you know, a high five or a smile or whatever? Oh, that's a great question. Okay. So yes. And early on, because you're feeling like it's early. Oh yeah. Mile two, three. Yeah. Let's chat. Let's hang out. Yeah. Swap stories, whatever. Um, it was relatively easy. Okay. Um, and then at a certain point, I think at mile 14, I started to feel my quads. They were really getting taxed and I was, which I was surprised because I had done all of the training to the T, you know, all of the mileage was done exactly how it should have been done. And I did all of like the, the Peloton strength workouts and the stretching and all this. Um, and so I got to a point where I was literally looking down at the ground because my face was tired from smiling. It was such a, it's such a happy and emotional thing. You know, you want to recognize people or have conversations with people. And I just had to put my head down because I wanted to finish the race. And I was like, it's early. There's, this is only mile 14 that I'm at. And I am feeling, you know, the exhaustion really setting in. And when, you know, the miles get hard, right? Mile 18, 19, 20, did you hit any of that, those mental hurdles? And if you did, how did you deal with them? Oh, yes, I did. But you know, there's one thing that we hear in, in Peloton, which is you don't have to, you get to. And it was a constant mantra that I had with my friend running. We would say all the time in those long miles when we were training, you don't have to, you get to. And I have, uh, and I still am wearing, uh, uh, it's a metastatic breast cancer um, bracelet that was, uh, you know, given to me by a friend who is in my, in my metastatic group. And I wore that for the race. And I think about them. I think about the people in that group that have passed. And I think, you know, throughout that race, I didn't have to, I get to, I get to raise money for the Dana-Farber at the place that um, I get my treatment, that I have my amazing team that have changed the lives of so many people that, you know, I see my oncologist on Twitter Sunday morning posting things. I see her, you know, putting all of this effort on research and investing in research, which is really going to change lives um, for the better. And so it, to be able to give back uh, to the Dana-Farber is just so meaningful. So I, 
that is, those are the things that I thought about when I was, you know, the mileage got hard when the exhaustion was a lot. So that's, that's so beautiful and, and inspiring in many ways. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. Was your family at the finish? So my husband and my daughter, uh, I had told them beforehand because Boston is like a crazy packed situation um, uh, for the race. I, I said to them, you guys should probably stay home because both my husband and I are vaccinated, but our daughter is only six mm -hmm. and she can't. And so I thought, you know, we don't know what the crowds are going to be like. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, let, you guys should just stay home. And so I didn't think that they would be there. Uh, and so around mile 25, I was running and I saw my sister-in-law and my, my, one of my nieces. And when I saw them, I was like, oh my gosh, you're here. And then I saw my daughter and my husband on the side. And so that yeah. was of course very emotional to see them ran over, gave them a big hug. And, um, you know, my mom actually picked us up, uh, and, and drove us home. So that it was, it was really a fantastic time seeing lots of friends and, and family along the way. Uh, it's, so. it's probably great for your daughter to see you working towards such a goal and accomplishing it. Right. That's such a great, great thing to see mom do. Yeah, I think so. I mean, she, she doesn't really comprehend what that really is like. Of course. She's yeah. like, I've been waiting here forever. Like, where is mom? You know, so. It's getting, it's getting a little boring here. Yeah. Can I just get the bubble gum and like, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I still think of that, you know, and when she's older, she'll, she'll look back and think that's a, a pretty cool thing that, that mom did hopefully. Are there any more marathons in your future or is oh, it too early? Good question. I, I finished the race and thought, you know, I can see how people get the bug, you know, to, to want yeah. to do more. And I think, you know, that training, as you know, is so intense. It's more than just the mileage. It's, it's everything. Sleeping right and eating and drinking all the water and stretching all the other, you know, things mm -hmm. that that requires is just so much more than just putting in extra miles. It was, it's a lot for training. And so- yeah. I, I won't shut the door on it, but I think the experience of running Boston on behalf of the Dana Farber, uh, you know, with family and friends around, I just don't know if I could top that, you know? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that's definitely one of those like once in a lifetime experiences for sure. Yeah. And my friend uh, and I have talked about it. We thought maybe next year we'll do, you know, a triathlon or something that is a little bit different that yeah. you know, we still could train together on or, or you know, something different, but I don't know about a marathon any, anytime soon. We'll see. Yeah. Fair enough. The recovery period is fun. Good to yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to catching up on all the Peloton rides that I have yeah. not done in like months. I have so many bookmarks. I'm yeah. like, oh, Beyonce. Oh, I got to do that one. So a few more questions before we wrap up. I want to talk about what it's like being a parent to a young child with metastatic cancer, right? You, yeah. she was one when you were diagnosed and I mean, all the feelings, right? All the emotions about, will you be around, right? And yeah. now that you, you know, now that things are it's a couple of years, what's all that been like? And I, I know that you can't sum it up in a few minutes, but. Yeah, I, I think with, um, when she was one, um, you know, I, 
shortly after when I started, I, I lost my hair and I would be going into, you know, preschool with hats on or scarves on and going into to work and all, all the things, you know, it's, it's a lot because it's just, it's when you lose your hair, it's a visible thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's a yeah. noticeable thing that somebody has something going on. And so, you know, we had recently moved into a new town. And so I didn't know any, you know, these parents and stuff like that. And it's just this awkward thing that you have to like, do you tell them? Do you not tell them? How much do you tell them? And when you tell people, they say things like, oh, you're going to beat it. And you're like, mm, actually it's stage four. That's not how this works. It's just, you just don't want to talk about it because it, it always would conjure up some additional questions or conversations. And then it becomes the thing that you're known about, you know, and it's less about your child or playing with your child. And you, you don't want to, I don't know, it's a whole thing yeah, and, and really heavy. And, you know, as she's gotten older, you know, she knows that I go in for appointments, but they, it's, I say that it's, I'm going to work because I bring my laptop. I actually work from, you know, yeah. when I'm getting treatment often and she knows I have the port. I say that's, you know, that's where I get medicine. It's like, I call it my boo-boo because I'm always like, if we're wrestling or whatever, I don't want her like, you know, standing on it or anything. Yeah. Um, but that's all she really knows. And, and now, um, you know, after running the marathon this past year, we, got some local press. And so more parents that my daughter has been connected with all know, and it's the same thing still, you know, where people are asking questions and I feel more comfortable having conversations because I've had more conversations. I look healthy, I have hair and, you know, I'm, I ran a marathon, you know, you would never know that this mm -hmm. is something that I live with. And so it's gotten easier over time, but I wouldn't say it's easy it's still hard. There's just new challenges. And I, I never, I never thought I would be able to see my daughter go to kindergarten and, and making that milestone was, it, it, it it's like climbing, a, climbing a mountain. It's just, it, to, to get to that point was just incredible. And now she's in school. I get to have all these experiences, each milestone or each thing, uh, celebration just means so much more. Like I'm so happy. I'm here to experience it. I get to see her do these things that I just never thought was going to happen. I never thought I'd be here for. And so it's, it's incredible and it's, it's fantastic. And I, and I feel so lucky and so blessed. I, I, I love that. It's incredible. And to be able, you know, I think being a parent in whatever capacity, right? Not everyone gets to give birth to a child, but whatever capacity we get to parent in, it is, I think, one of the greatest gifts of the world. I mean, to see to see children grow up, right? And discover that it's just, it's wonderful. Yeah, it, it really is amazing. Yeah. Is there anything that you want to share that we didn't really touch on before we wrap up? There, while I talk about being lucky and I talk about being, you know, a, a unicorn, you know, I, I think it's important to, um, you know, know that it's possible. It's possible to, you know, make it through tough treatment and, and, and get out on the other side where you can function and, and live a, a, a healthy life um, while going through this, that it is possible. Um, the other thing I think 
I, I would want to share is when I was diagnosed early on, I asked my oncologist who she would suggest meeting with in addition to help round out my, my treatment team. And so she connected me with a social worker and I literally met with all of the people, including financial services, um, nutritionists. I mean, you name it, I met with them. Psychologists, mm -hmm. because I thought I was like crazy. And they were like, no, you're just diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. And it's a lot. <laughs> um, but things like financial services was really an interesting eye opener. They recommended that I apply for a second health insurance. And man, what a difference maker that is. So I, I have my insurance through my husband. But when the bills get extra high, the secondary insurance actually covers me so that I'm not paying out of pocket, you know, thousands of dollars for, uh, you know, scans that happen every, every four, you know, four months or so. So the secondary health insurance was really a, a, a big deal. And then also they recommended we apply for other, uh, you know, help. And, and initially I was really, saying, no, we, we don't, we don't need that. We're in, we're an okay place, but there's so many places and organizations that want to help. And so, uh, uh, and one of those is like the Ellie fund where they, um, help pay for things like childcare. And so you don't think early on that you need that, like, oh, we've already got her enrolled, but then you're thinking about it. I need to make sure she's at daycare so that I can take care of myself yeah. when I'm crying and I need space. Like having somebody be able to watch my daughter was huge. And so, you know, I, I, you know, recommend to people talk to their oncologists about other networks, organizations, people, if they have access to a social worker, talk to them because they can help make your life so much easier. That is a really good point and something that we don't talk about a lot. And you're right. People don't want to ask for help or sometimes accept help. But these are people and organizations that are really want to give and really want to be there. Um, and there are, there's a ton of, you know, even things like, I know that, I don't know if they're still doing this after COVID, but the American Cancer Society was at least where we are in New Jersey, they had a whole system for lifts and Ubers to get people to yeah. treatment, right? Little things so that your husband or partner doesn't have to take time off from work, which is a financial, you know, just source of income, right? To bring you to the appointments or whatever it is. But I think there's so many great, great resources out there that we definitely don't take enough advantage of. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and actually, I have one last question for you. Tell me about your jewelry business. <laughs> so I, um, when I was in... Uh, before I started the, the kind of current um, work that I, that I do now, which is I work for a digital agency, I uh, was a, a personal trainer many moons ago and I decided to go back to school to get my master's. And at that point I had kind of always made jewelry. It was kind of a, you know, I taught myself how to do things, lots of YouTube videos. And so when I was going back to school, I, kind of started an Etsy shop, just thought kind of, let's see where this goes. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm self-taught. And so over time I've gotten, I'm now in a couple shops. I'm in four stores in and around, um, Boston selling online, selling through Instagram. And it's just something that 
you know, my day-to-day job is, is somewhat creative, but I'm like an account person managing schedules and all these kinds of things, client relationships. And so I miss that real creativity of like me designing and doing things. And so I've, I've dialed that up over the years. I, uh, you know, used to work markets before I had my daughter. And so it's just always been something that's been a lot of fun and I really enjoy doing and, um, have been lucky to continue doing while, uh, while I work and, and raise my daughter. That's great. Tell the listeners what kind of jewelry we're talking about. Oh, okay. So I make everything from brand new, like, you know, gold or silver, sterling silver pieces, all the way through to what I really love doing, which is um, taking vintage pieces apart and reconstructing something different. So I've, you know, I've made my grandmother's earrings into um, a bracelet like one bracelet for my sister, one bracelet for myself. And so, you know, just reinventing um, vintage and and bringing it back into where a a new way is something I really love doing. I love it. And do you have a studio? Where do you do all your work? Oh, so no, that's definitely like an upset stairs bedroom situation. Sometimes (laughs) at the kitchen table while my daughter's eating a snack. It's like all over the house. Okay. So that's the next project you need like, (laughs) you know, some more proper. Well, I mean, it's one of those things like I really love my job and where I work right now. And I I just love doing the jewelry on the side, you know, so I don't know that it would be, I'd ever be in a place where I'd want to yeah, yeah. but it's great. I mean, it's so nice to have those outlets, right. And those hobbies and creative and anything. uh, That's wonderful. Where can people find you online if they want to connect with you or buy your jewelry or send you something to transform? Um, so the best place would be on Instagram. I'm on Instagram a lot. So I'm known, uh, my handle is AD jewelry, AD yeah, jewelry, all one word. And, uh, that would be the best place on Instagram. Fantastic. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. I hope you all enjoyed this conversation. It was a very, very special one for me to record. And I'm Again, so thankful to Anne for taking the time and and to really sharing what it is like to live with metastatic cancer. If you do want to connect with Anne further, she is AD Jewelry on Instagram. She's got a fantastic account and her jewelry pieces are so special and just beautiful. As always, you can find me at Dr. Duplinski on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you enjoyed this episode or any others of the Interlude podcast, please share this with a friend or a family member who might also find it helpful. And I would be very grateful if you can take a moment to leave a rating and review over an Apple podcast, as that really helps me to grow the show and to bring it to new listeners. Thank you all for listening, and I will see you soon.